All right. Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles. Let's turn together in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 41 through 44. It's our Bible text for this morning, Acts chapter 2, 41 through 44. In the church Bible, you're going to find that on page 911. There are Bibles scattered around the room. Help yourself to one of those if you do not have your own. 911. Acts 2, chapter, sorry, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 44. Let's give our attention to God's word as it is read. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. This is God's word. I invite you to pray with me. We need to hear from God. And I can't accomplish that. So we're going to ask him to speak. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you call men to preach your word. And as the one tasked with doing that now, I feel the weight of inadequacy. How can anything of eternal value be accomplished in these moments apart from your spirit? The truth is nothing will happen apart from your spirit. This word, Father, is your truth. It is for our sanctification. It is for our salvation. And supremely, it is for bringing glory to your son. And so we want that to happen in in this time of explaining it and applying it. So Lord, would you speak to us? Would you even use the voice of a mere man somehow to accomplish this? And may we hear ultimately from you so that Christ may be glorified among us. And it's in his name we pray it. Amen. Well, over the last uh, several weeks, we've been focusing on core values. So this is the last in a series, this topical series uh, um, in uh, core values of the church. We're going to get back to the Gospel of John next week and continue our exposition through there. Uh, but one more this week. Um, our purpose in doing this, just to remind you, has been to affirm the things, the things that we hold dear, these things that inform and guide what kind of church we are. And it's really because of the gospel, because of the, uh, together we hold this confession, this confidence that the divine son of God became a man, that he lived on the earth without sin, that he died in our place on the cross, that he did that to bear the eternal consequence of all of our sin, all who would put their trust in him. And because we believe this, we have been made spiritual, spiritually alive and we have been counted righteous in the sight of God. But because of this confession, there are certain values, things that we hold dear that flow out of this, this confession, this truth, this gospel reality. 
as we hold that together and encourage each other in it. Certain values that are dear to us. We value the sufficiency of God's word, the scriptures as we have them. That we value Christ-exalting worship, that when we gather together, we, we lift up the name of Jesus. We exalt him among us. That because of this gospel, because of its effect on our lives and the way that we have been drawn to God, we, we indeed value fellowship with one another. That is to say, partnership and sharing in this gospel reality. And that we value hospitality, the love of the stranger, so that when there are those who are outside of us, that we long for them to know. We, we provide as much as possible, humanly possible, and by the grace and power of God, an environment where they would feel welcomed and because we have something, a, a message that would impact them for eternity. So we value hospitality. And as we talked about last night, last night, last week, last Sunday, that we value the multiplication of disciples and, and leaders and ministries for the sake of, of propagating this message as we've been called to do, to participate in around the world. Now, no doubt, um, an honest self-assessment will reveal that we do not perfectly embody these values. We have to acknowledge that. But that said, we, we aspire to grow in these things. So the question remains, how is it that we grow? How is it even possible that we grow in our worship, that we grow in our fellowship, that we grow in hospitality, that we go, grow in our mission-mindedness? Of course, all of this rests first on the first value, the sufficiency of God's word, which provides us with the powerful truth that, that God accomplishes his own purposes among us through his word. But the question is how we as his people, how we respond to God's word. That has everything to do with our, our willingness and our readiness. Now, as I stand up here week by week, I've learned some things about how people listen. <laughs> That's not an accusation. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm targeting any one of you. It's just observation over years of ministry. If a listener is entirely passive, he is easily distracted and will likely be disengaged. That's the reality. I know that in my own life. If I'm passive, I'll likely be engaged. But if the listener leans in, if, if that listener is expectant that, he is, that what he is hearing is truly valuable, then it's a different outcome. And we all know this, right? It's the same in personal conversations. If you're speaking with somebody who, who leans in, who echoes back some of what you say, then there's a possibility, even a high probability, of a, of a genuine relationship. Now, I say all of that because prayer is the way that we actively engage with what God is saying to us. Prayer is the church's way of leaning in to God. Without prayer, I wonder, is it even possible for the people of God to have a genuine relationship with him? I ask that question. So it matters. Prayer matters. Now, as we turn attention to the Bible text that I read for us, Luke, the, the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he tells us, and this is the setting here, this is the Jerusalem church, some 3,000 souls responded in repentance and faith to the proclamation, the good news about Jesus. 3,000. They were baptized and they were added to the church. But what follows is a description of what the church in 
here in Jerusalem did. What, what they did, that is to say, how they ordered their lives now that they had come to trust in Christ, it meant everything to them. So it changed them fundamentally. They didn't just believe the message and walk away like, like nothing was different. No, they, they reordered their lives around what they heard and they devoted themselves. So having identified themselves with this fledgling church, they devoted themselves. That's what the text says. Now, what is, what is behind this word devoted? And if you look up the, the, the meaning of it or the possible range of meanings, it means that they were steadfast, steadfastedly attentive unto, that they gave unremitting care to these, what I would call, means of grace, the apostles' teaching, the breaking bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. And that resulted in great blessing for the church in Jerusalem. Now, I'm focusing on just one of those means of grace this morning, that is, of prayer. They devoted themselves. They attended to, they, they ordered their lives around prayer. Now, it is vitally important that we as individual Christians make a habit of regularly praying. That's, that's true, but, but what Luke is referring to here in our text is a, a collective devotion. In their gathering, they were devoted to the prayers. So as we think about this, I, I've asked the question even as I was preparing this message this week, do we have the value of prayer? Is prayer a real value to us? Do we pray as we ought? Now, my purpose here isn't to undertake some kind of assessment, but what I want to do, I want to hold up the value of prayer, and I want to call us to fervency in prayer. And I'm preaching to myself, too. So don't think I'm saying, all oh, y'all need to be better at this. I'm saying this to myself, too, that we Overland Hills Church, we need to be devoted to prayer. So if we value prayer, then here's some things that, that I would suggest that are important to understand about that, okay? So if we value prayer, then there are four things to keep in mind. We pray in Jesus' name. If we value prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. If we value prayer, we pray in faith. If we value prayer, we pray with gratitude. And if we value prayer, we pray always, always. If we value prayer, then we pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to start with a, uh, an illustration set in the political realm. Don't you love that? But except it's in Canada, so we get a break from all that's been going on, okay? So here's a political illustration from Canada. Now, you may or may not know this, but the current Prime Minister of Canada is Justin Trudeau. Now, before Justin Trudeau entered politics, he was a school teacher and a political, or sort of policy advocate. He won a seat in the House of Commons in 2008. He was elected to his party leadership in 2013. And in 2015, his party was elected to run the government, wherein he became, as leader of the party, the Prime Minister. Now, one has to ask, and Canadians did, what accounted for his meteoric rise to power? And I will tell you this, no Canadian has any doubt in their minds that it had something to do with his name. <laughs> Pierre Elliott Trudeau was his father, 
who also served as prime minister, except for some 15 years in the period of two terms, or I guess three terms, but two of them were back to back. So for Justin Trudeau, in his present place as prime minister of Canada, that name was his ticket to power. His name, his father's name, carried him and his party to electoral victory. So we get this, that a name, a name is far more than an identifying label, right? A name is a reputation. A name is a set of relationships. A name is essential priorities. So when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. That is to say, in keeping with Jesus' reputation, in keeping with Jesus in his relationship, in keeping with Jesus and his priorities. If we value prayer, we pray in Jesus' name, in that way. Now, this is what Jesus said about the effectiveness of prayer in his name. Listen to what he says in John 16, 23. He said this, truly, truly, I say to you that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, (laughs) taking that out of context, on the surface, this looks like some kind of formula for getting anything you want from God. Anything, right? Jesus says, whatever you ask, right? Whatever. And whatever means anything at all. Nothing at all is excluded from whatever. But if we look closely at the way Jesus said this, understand this, Jesus' name is not a verbal formula that the Father is somehow obligated to grant anything that we might ask because we tack on in Jesus' name. Father, and Jesus, you know, I, I pray that you would give me all the wealth of the world in Jesus' name. God suddenly has his handcuffs. Oh, he said the words. It doesn't work that way. It's not a formula. The whatever of our asking in prayer is controlled, is bounded by what's in keeping with Jesus' name. Ask anything of the Father in my name. That is to say, in keeping with my reputation, in keeping, Jesus says, with my relationship with the Father, in keeping with my priorities. So let's talk about this. What is Jesus' reputation? How does he want to be known? Well, the scripture reveals. But when we pray in the name of Jesus, it is praying in light of the fact that he is the Son of God, that he is the one, uh, Christ, the Messiah who is promised in the scripture, that he is the one who perfectly carried out the will of the Father, that he is the perfect Lamb of God who by his own death on the cross took away the power and the eternal consequence of our sin. The one who was buried in a tomb, who returned to life on the third day, thus guaranteeing eternal life for all who would trust in him. That's his reputation. You see, praying in Jesus' name seeks to make that known. If the aim of our prayer is, let that be known, God says, I'm with you. That's what I want. I want to do that. But what's Jesus' eternal, uh, essential relationship? Names are about identity, relationship, reputation, right? We've said this. He's the divine son of God. He is one with the father. All of the works that he did on earth were in perfect agreement with the father's plan. And if we ask the question, what is Jesus' priority? Well, 
By his own words, he said, it is drawing people to himself through his own death on the cross. He said in John 12, 32, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, describing the way that he would die, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, Jesus says, will draw all people to myself. That's Jesus' priority, drawing people to himself through the knowledge of his death on the cross and his resurrection. It's the very mission that he gave to his disciples and by extension to all of us who belong to him. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey, observe, do all that I have commanded. You see, disciple-making involves making Christ known and conforming all of those who know Christ to his very character. That's praying in Jesus' name when we long for that. So the Apostle Paul uh, encouraged the Colossians to pray this way. For the sake of the gospel, he said in Colossians 4.3, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Yeah, I'm in chains, Paul says. But pray. Pray that the word about Jesus gets out. And he himself, the Apostle Paul, prayed for the Colossian believers that they themselves would grow in their own faith. And he says this, Colossians 1.9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The Apostle Paul here is praying without using the words, without saying a formula. He's praying in Jesus' name. So as we think about it, how as a church can we pray in Jesus' name? Well, by all means, we can pray that we would be effective in leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's praying in Jesus' name. That our individual and collective witness would be strengthened. That's praying in Jesus' name. Now listen, in the world around us, and we, it doesn't take long to see this, just watch the news, there's so much hatred and distrust. There's hatred and distrust of people between people of different political ideologies from different ethnicities because of countries of origin or color of skin. It's, it's sad. But for us who belong to Christ, because of the gospel, because of Jesus, we, we have this way of loving and we can love one another because of the way Christ loved us. When we long for that, we're praying in Jesus' name. When we long to put on display the very love that he has for us among us, it's praying in Jesus' name. And when we pray for the healing of our loved ones, the way that we would long for God to intervene, and whether he intervenes or chooses not to intervene in the life of the one who's suffering among us, that we would put as a result the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. That whether in living or dying, whether health or ill health, Christ would be glorified. It's not wrong to pray for the healing of our loved ones, but, but there's a grander purpose, isn't there? That somehow Christ would be glorified. So when we gather to pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Second, if we value prayer, then we pray in faith. Pray in faith. Uh, not too long ago, maybe it's a while ago, there was a, a TV show called 24. I watched a bunch of them, but the, the hero of the story was Jack Bauer, and he would always save the day. 
but he had to do it in a kind of an unconventional way because the system that he was working with is often corrupt. But at the moment of decision, he would ask that all-important question, do you trust me? He would say that. When everything else looks like it's against you, when all of the powers are in opposition, getting out of that situation alive meant trusting in Jack Bauer. Pure fiction, of course. Verging on fantasy. Really, no, no mere man can do so much and endure so much in a single 24-hour day for eight seasons straight. Nobody can do that and deliver on his promises always, right? Fantasy, we get it. Jack Bauer's fiction. But there is one who has the power to deliver, one that we can trust who is perfectly trustworthy, and that is why we pray in faith. Jesus said this, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. If you have faith. Now, what does it mean to pray in faith? Now, now I'll tell you, and it's already in some of your minds, the prosperity charlatans, they take this verse and they, they build a false understanding of God that treats him like some sort of cosmic genie. Just rub the prayer lamp and get anything you want, if you believe, right? We have to ask the question, when we treat God that way, when we think of praying in faith that way, we have to ask, faith in what or whom? What's the object of your faith? Now, here's how the, the, the name it and claim it, the blab it and grab it, word, word faith charlatans twist it. I want to explain this to you. They will say, for example, if you don't have enough money to pay your rent, that if you pray, believing that you'll have enough to pay your rent, then, because of the strength of your faith, you'll be able to pay your rent. That's what they say. So, on the other side, if as a result of praying, you still don't have enough money to pay your rent, it was because you didn't have enough faith. That's what they say. Now, hopefully, you will see the problem with that. What's the object of faith in this kind of prayer? What's the object? Well, it's a preferred outcome, isn't it? And I think you can follow me on this. It is foolish to put your trust in an outcome. It's putting your faith in ideas. Ideas are powerless. A preferred vision of the future has no power to act on the present. Would you not agree? No, praying in faith is praying with trust in God as the object of faith. It is confidence in him so let me explain this the only way that you can pray in faith is if you have come humbly before him that's the only way you can pray in faith the only way you can pray in faith is if you have first acknowledged your un, your own unworthiness before God, that you understand before God that you stand condemned because of your own sin, that there is a judgment hanging over your head. It's called eternal hell, a place Jesus described as weeping and gnashing of teeth where the fire never goes out and the worm doesn't die. It's hideous. That judgment, coming before God humbly, acknowledging that judgment hangs over our head, but then believing 
that your acceptance before God is not on the basis of your own goodness or your attempts to get out of your sin, but is on the basis of what Jesus alone has accomplished at the cross. Looking to Christ in faith and seeing him crucified there in the pages of scripture as it, des- as it describes for us. Jesus hanging there on the cross, receiving the full poured out wrath of God for your sin in your place and saying, I need him. And putting your full trust in Christ and abandoning everything else of your own confidence and saying, I'm, I'm with him. Faith, praying in faith acknowledges that we stand before God on that basis alone. So brothers and sisters in Christ, what makes us different from the world The unbelieving world is not that we have somehow stacked up a record of good deeds that somehow God is smiling on us a little bit more than he's frowning on them. No. It is simply acknowledging we deserved all of God's wrath. And because of the immensity of his grace, we have been been recipients of grace upon grace upon grace to be welcomed into the family of God because we trusted in Christ. So if you have not acknowledged your sin and sinfulness before God, he will not hear your prayer. It's not because he doesn't care, but it's because the terms of coming to God are coming in faith. Let me ask, do you have faith? And when we have faith, we have to trust in God's character. We have to trust in God's sovereignty. We have to trust that God knows best. Faith is trust. It's confidence. And I get it. Fervent prayers long for a particular outcome. I, I think of when I was a young man. Kathy and I had been married only a few months. We were helping in the youth group in our church, and we were very close with Dan, our, our youth pastor, and his wife, Julie. New Year's Eve, Dan was seriously injured in a sledding accident while leading the youth group. I took him to the hospital, but his condition kept getting worse, and we, as a church, were called to pray, pray, pray. We prayed fervently. I I prayed like I never prayed before. I didn't want to lose my friend, but he died. Now, did we not have enough faith? Did our prayers fail in some way? No. As hard as as it was to accept that a 28-year-old youth pastor, husband and father of a two-year-old would die, we had to trust and accept that God had a different plan. God did not fail to be good. God did not fail to be good. And Dan, indeed, was in the presence of Jesus after he died. God knows what's best. He rules over all. Now, I'm sure there are many among us who've experienced that kind of disappointment, not getting the answers to our prayers. And I think of how we prayed for Rob O'Neill, how we prayed for Jim Hargrave, how we prayed for Kathy Hoagland, how we desperately prayed for Isaac Whitman when we weren't sure. But God is still good. See, the the, the prayer of faith rests on the very character of God. It trusts in his sovereign purposes even when we don't understand. And, And the prayer of faith knows 
knows in our heart of hearts that we, we who belong to him get this, that God always, always does what is good and for our eternal good. He always does. So we pray. You might say, why do we pray? Why bother? God's gonna do what he does. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this. In praying, it is not so much that we would change God, but that he would change us. So when we pray together, ultimately it has the effect of conforming us, I would say supernaturally, to the very will of God. So we value prayer, we pray in faith. If we value prayer, then we pray with gratitude, with gratitude. And I think we all agree there's something kind of annoying about someone who acts entitled. Uh, it's what little children do, right? It's what parents seek to train out of them. But it shouldn't surprise anyone that when some people continue to behave this way into adulthood, it's because that message in our culture that, that we're constantly fed, that, you know, advertisers tell us, you deserve it, you're worth it, right? And if perchance we don't feel worth it, we're encouraged to lie to ourselves with a Stuart Smalley personal affirmation, like, I'm, not, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, just look in the mirror, right? It, it builds into that sense of entitlement, doesn't it? You see, entitlement assumes that you've earned it. I deserve this. But we can never, ever, ever feel entitled before God, ever. Now, don't get me wrong. We've all earned something from God. <laughs> That's not something that we particularly want. The Bible says because of our sinfulness, we have earned our fair wages. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's the one thing that we can all claim before God that we've earned. I've earned death and you've earned it too. So we can't feel entitled before God. We can't be entitled. God doesn't owe us anything. So what's the alternative? Gratitude. Gratitude. Philippians 5, sorry, Philippians, um, I don't know the chapter here. I'm gonna read it anyway. You're gonna know what this is. I think it's two. No, it's not two. It's three. Somebody will tell me. It doesn't matter. Here's the word, okay? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us that we should pray. How? In everything by prayer and supplication. And the word supplication is simply asking with thanksgiving, with, by, by expressing gratitude. So when we pray, we must, our prayers must be Full of gratitude. Why? For, for what? It acknowledges to God what he's already given to us. The very fact that he has shown us mercy not to counter sins against us and to put forward his own son, Jesus Christ, as a, we learned in Sunday school, a propitiation, a sacrifice that averts his righteous wrath for our sin. Gratitude for that mercy. Grace then, uh, the gratitude for the grace of God to, to then impute credit to our own lives, that perfect righteousness of Christ to all who have believed in him. 
What a marvelous thing. In God's sight, because you have believed in Jesus, God takes all of Jesus' righteousness and says, that's yours now. With every confidence, we can come before the throne of God, not because we have earned or deserved it, but simply because as a gift of his grace, he calls us righteous. We can be grateful for the Holy Spirit to make us spiritually alive and and indwell us, empowering us to increasingly choose a path of holiness and goodness and then turn away from our sin. We can be grateful for a church family to belong to and to be encouraged by. We can be grateful for, for the formation of our own character, yes, even through tests and trials, difficulties. And we should and ought to be grateful for every temporal and eternal blessing the provisions that we have of a job and income, food, shelter, clean air and water, the very next time you breathe, the very next time your heart beats, all, all gifts, all of it. We deserve none of it, none of it. I do not deserve for my heart to beat yet again. And if it stops now, God owes me nothing. He's already poured out blessing upon blessing. In the Bible book of James, he says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is the giver. We don't bring anything to God but empty hands. So anything, anything at all but a grateful heart is an affront to him. It's selfish and sinful. And expressing gratitude in prayer reminds us of the abundance of his goodness. It strengthens our trust in him because it acknowledges acknowledges the historical record of his goodness. Are our prayers marked with gratitude? Oh, brothers and sisters, let us be grateful when we pray together and in our individual prayers too. Well, if finally, if we value prayer, then we pray always. Pray always. Uh, when I uh, work with, with couples in their pre-marriage counseling sessions, one of the things I give to them is a, is a workbook to fill out. It's just a very practical workbook. Uh, in it, in that workbook, are places to answer questions about their history, their positive and negative character traits, their goals, their views on the husband and wife relationship, parenting discipline, just all of those things that are important. Important to discuss. Now, that workbook is effectively just a tool that forces conversation. And some questions, even most of them, seem really obvious. Well, of course we know that about each other. But once in a while, we land on something that has not been discussed in any detail. And learning before marriage that a couple has maybe a widely divergent view on some issue, it's important and it's a good way to help them resolve the difference and work out the potential for conflict. And we get this, it's just basic marriage, isn't it? In a marriage, two-way conversation is essential for the relationship. It has to continue. Can't be just, you know, standing up there before your family and friends pledging faithfulness to each other and then never talking again. Can you imagine that? Well, it's also true of the bride of Christ. We need to be actively involved in a continuing conversation with God. The word they devoted themselves to means they paid continual attention to. It wasn't like I was once devoted and now I don't have to be. No, it's just 
ongoing devotion to the prayers. They gathered together and they prayed. A church that does not actively engage in praying together is in danger of wandering. I believe that to be true. Wandering away. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12, 12 that we should be, that we should rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Constant in prayer. Now the reason he exhorts them to prayer is built into this his explanation. Be joyful in our eternal hope and patient when things get difficult, and they will get difficult. Brothers and sisters, things get difficult. There's tribulation now of some sort. And I said it. If we are not constant in prayer, we will be quick to wander. Prayer keeps our collective heart soft towards God and I'm going to say this. Individuals in the church who don't pray with the church are at risk of leaving the fold. I've learned some things over my years of pastoral ministry. It's the complainers and the grumblers about leadership decisions generally come from the people that do not pray with the church. The people who say, I'm not being fed, or I don't like the music, or I don't like I, 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 they tend to be the ones who do not gather with the church to pray. Those who bounce from church to church, never quite satisfied. They're the ones who do not gather with the church to pray. The people that wander off into destructive sin and remain unrepentant are the ones that tend not to gather with the church to pray. The ones who are divisive, the troublers, the people that wander into heretical teaching, they're the ones that do not gather with the church to pray. The ones who rarely make a priority of giving, they're the ones that generally don't give themselves to gathering with the church to pray. The ones that get hung up on secondary matters, the legalistic, the self-righteous, again, they're the ones that generally don't gather with the church to pray. If you don't commune with God alongside others who are part of the church family, it might be that you're saying that you don't need either them or God. By way of explanation, is. Why do we begin almost everything we do together with prayer? It's not just a mere formality. We start a Bible study, we start with prayer. We start a Sunday school class, we start with prayer. We gather a mission team together, we start with prayer. Is it just like, well, that's the religious thing to do? No. We need God. We, we can't do anything apart from his divine help. Why do we encourage you to join with us in this room once a month, usually on the first Monday? Why do we do care groups and share in the Bible and prayer? Why, when the elders meet, do we pray? Why, when the staff team meets, do we pray? Why do I do a pastoral prayer or the other elders who are involved in that? Because we have nothing except that God has given it and we can do nothing except that God would grant it. So we value prayer. And I know, I know that seems painfully simple. Brothers and sisters, I know I need to make a better priority of it. I think we all do. So, quick review. 
We value prayer, or we ought to value prayer together. That is, in Jesus' name, in keeping with his priorities. Prayer that is in faith, confidence in who God is and what he's accomplished. With gratitude for the overflow of goodness that he has poured out on our lives. And constantly. And I trust that as we, as I've declared this value, that you would embrace it with me. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we are dependent. That is true. And, um, and we come to you with nothing. And whatever you choose to do will all be, all be because um, of your goodness and, and not of our deserving. So Lord, um, teach us to be more faithful in praying together. And, and Lord, we know that you will accomplish your work in spite of us, in spite of our weakness. And in fact, maybe even because of our weakness. Because in prayer we express our weakness and it leaves open the opportunity for you to prove yourself strong so that as a result, when um, more people come to faith in Jesus through us, when more people grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus among us, when we more reflect the character of Christ among us, all that we can say is that you did that. So Lord, we pray. And we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.